Jesus, the prophet like Moses. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of the fourth Sunday of Epiphany, January 31st, 2021 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. In Deuteronomy, Moses tells the children of Israel to look for a prophet like himself, a leader who teaches with authority, performs miracles, and feeds multitudes. The Gospels portray Jesus as that long-awaited prophet who has authority over the powers of darkness. Deacon Aaron Imey encourages us to respond to Jesus and listen to the Messiah's voice. Before the sermon, we want to introduce you to a work dear to our hearts, the Jewish Believers Holocaust Project. Christchurch has commissioned a study to retrieve the names and stories of the Jewish Christians who suffered, just as other Jews, during World War II. Very little hard evidence, figures, and stories have ever been assembled about these victims, and their tragedy largely remains an untold chapter in the history of the Holocaust. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org to watch a video about Basili and Anna Yach, two Jewish Christians who suffered at the hands of the Nazis. To learn more about the Jewish Believers Holocaust Project, go to ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Continue our worship through the public reading and study of Scripture and the Word of God. Before we turn to our readings, there is a short prayer called the Collect to gather our thoughts, prepare us to hear God's voice. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, is the light of the world, grant that your people, enlightened by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of his glory, that he may be worshipped and obeyed to the ends of the earth, through Jesus the Anointed One, who with you, and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Open ears and hearts to hear what God has to say to us through his word. The first reading is uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 18, from verse 15 until 20. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren." and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he, speak, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation, the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. 
His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are verity and justice, and his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel portion is from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, reading from verse 21. It's a tradition. Please stand as we honor the Messiah. We honor our King as we hear his his truths. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We're in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany is that time of the church calendar where we celebrate the revelation of the incarnation of the Messiah and his revelation to the world. So ever since the visit of the Magi, we are revealing God is revealing himself through the Messiah to the world, to the Gentiles. Today's readings reveal that Jesus has authority. Not that we didn't know that. That's what we'll look at. Not only does he have authority to teach, but today he also has authority over the powers of darkness. That might be very poignant for our dark time. So if we look at our, uh, our Hebrew Bible portion, the book of uh, Deuteronomy, the last words of Moses, and we see that there's a prophecy. One like Moses was going to come. Someone like me, Kamoni, it says. Now before there were kings and before there were priests, for the people of God, there were prophets. Moses is a prophet. His brother Aaron is a prophet. And even Miriam, their sister, is a prophet. So even the girls 
get in on the action and are prophets, like Anna the prophetess in the temple. And so the highest authority for the people of Israel was not the king, not the priest, oddly enough, it was the prophet. All kings in the Bible had their corresponding prophet. And the relationship was often a tense one. So you can have a look and you can see King Saul had Samuel. And Ahab had Elijah. King David had Nathan and Gad. He gets two prophets. There's only one king who doesn't have a prophet. You know who he is? Solomon. The wisest of the wise does not have a prophet. And look how much trouble that got him into. So God, looking at his people down there in Egypt, before he goes and redeems them, he sends a prophet. Not a king. Later he will make priests. But first, a prophet. So now we have a look at the scene that we see in Deuteronomy. Moses has the people of Israel on one side of the Jordan River, next to the, the lands of Moab. They are about to cross over into uh, the land of Canaan. And Moses is not going with them. At the beginning of Deuteronomy, he says, This is my last day. Today, I die. At the end of Deuteronomy, he's going to break into song. So that's always an interesting thing. On your last day of life, are you going to do a Cecil B. DeMille thing? Maybe. But Moses does. All Israel had known since coming out of Egypt was Moses' leadership. They had known nobody else. And, of course, they, they know a little bit about Joshua. Things can be a little bit uncertain. What exactly is going to happen next? Who's it really going to be in charge? Moses had been incredible. He was a teacher. He was a lawgiver. He was a miracle worker. He was a redeemer. He spoke for God. He met with God. He shined like God. And now he was going away. They had a few concerns. So Moses knows this, and he says, Don't worry, there will come one like me. God would raise up another. Hope is given again to Israel. We're going to get another Moses, another shepherd, another defender of the people, someone who will challenge the kings, someone who will work the miracles, someone who will speak for God, perhaps someone who might have seen God, someone who's going to shine like God. That'll be nice. And so each generation wants to have a prophet. What do you, how would you recognize one? So this begs the question, doesn't it? Each generation will have a prophet, but there's still going to be one like Moses. Kamoni, like me. So this becomes wrapped in messianic expectation. But it begged the question, how would you recognize the true one? For succumbing to the whims and secrets 
and charms of a false one. I mean, the text itself gets pretty severe. If another prophet does arise, and he doesn't speak in my name, well, what should you do? Send him money? Give him a blessing? Send him off? Nope. Find yourself in the nearest rock and start throwing. Serious business. I mean, we're looking for someone full of hope. Someone who will speak the words of God. But if he's wrong, then something terrible would happen. And so part of the messianic idea wasn't just of a coming king and a redeemer, but or, or an Elijah figure. Later on, we also want an Elijah to come as well, who's also a prophet, but not the prophet. And so when we, when we get to the Gospels and we see Jesus here uh, feeding uh, 5,000 people and doing an incredible miracle, their response isn't, oh my gosh, the king of the universe has arrived. This is the Messiah. They say, surely this is the prophet. When John the Baptist is out in the desert, the leadership go to him and ask, are you Elijah? No. Well, are you the prophet? They're waiting for this very special person. Surely, this is the prophet, they say of Jesus. Great! So let's have a little look at the Gospel passage. So Jesus is into Capernaum, where he has set up his base of operations. And immediately on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue, like the way this also reflects even a little bit of the archaeology for those that who have visited Israel, would like to visit Israel whenever we're open again. Please do. If you go to Capernaum, you realize that the synagogue is indeed very close to the houses. You literally leave the synagogue and you can enter a home. Immediately, we enter the synagogue. And he taught, and they were astonished at his teaching. What did he teach? Don't you just love it when the Bible, the Gospels, describe Jesus' teaching and then never tell you what he said? This is not the only time that they do it. Jesus meets a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says he went through the Psalms, the Torah and the prophets, and, said, and he described every verse that described himself. How much of that information do we have? Zero! Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. Don't tell me that, Mark. Tell me what he said. It's not important for us at the moment. We know what he said in other occasions. But for this piece of passage, somebody else needs to speak. But Jesus teaches. At the moment, it's not what he says. It's how he does it. Because he does it with authority. Not like some of the other teachers. The Gospels portray Jesus as the new Moses. So he will do all the things that Moses does. He will teach, but he will teach with power, conviction, authority, truth. He will do miracles, not just little ones, big ones. He will feed multitudes of people, just like Moses did in the desert. Yes, I know it was God 
sending the, the manna from heaven and the quails. But Moses was the one who appealed to the Lord for the food, and it was granted them. Here, Jesus teaches with authority, and they recognize that. And they know he is not like other teachers. There is something that he is saying that's very powerful and very true. And there was a man in their synagogue who has an unclean spirit. And uh, he's familiar with them. And the word here, uh, akathatos, does mean impure, impurity. Impurity in Judaism um, was a really big deal. They could get rid of impurity through a ritual immersion, baptism, a mikveh. But something about this impurity could not be gotten rid of by a baptism. And so it came from an impure or evil, as it sometimes is translated, spirit. And these evil spirits could impart their impurity through possession or through disease. And sometimes you could get rid of it through prayer, fasting, or exorcisms. But in this case, they could not. Exorcisms were actually quite common in the Second Temple period. People acknowledged that there was a, uh, another realm, uh, not just the one that you could see. They recognized that there was one that you could not see, and that world could interact with this one, chiefly in a very negative way. And so there is a tradition that has the wisest of heroes back to that King Solomon again and his no prophet. And he was so smart, according to tradition, that not only could he talk to animals or trees, but he could also overthrow demons. And uh, a lot of... It's just a tradition, but they had developed this, this idea that we can fight the demonic back. And so they developed prayers and magical spells and incantations and all kinds of formulas to defeat the demons. We have this recorded in a book called Sefer HaRazim, the book of magic. I do not recommend you go out, buy it, and or read it. But it is there describing uh, the, the, the practice of getting rid of demons. And we even meet Jewish exorcists in the book of Acts that are not disciples of Jesus. They're not having a lot of success, but they are there. And in fact, in the early church, they acknowledged that uh, exorcism was part of the ministry of Jesus, part of the ministry of the apostles, and it became part of the ministry of the early church. Jesus himself does 24 exorcisms in the Gospels, each time successfully. The disciples have a go, sometimes successfully, sometimes not so much. We see that happen in our world till still to this day. Sometimes we are successful. Sometimes we are not. Interestingly, as an aside, little curio, the Catholic Church, to this day, uh, part of its mandate is every single diocese has to have an exorcist. One. And so if something does happen, and you encounter an evil one, the majority of exorcists in the world, and in the movies, oddly enough, uh, are all Catholics. 
Um, uh, until this day, we do not have an official uh, Anglican rite of exorcism. Okay, I think we still use the one from St. Francis of Assisi. Now, is that for a little curious? Not only was St. Francis of Assisi uh, attempting to um, correct the Pope and start a new order, but he was also conscious of the enemy and knew that the king of the universe that had the power of light could fight back the darkness. The Jewish exorcists of the Second Temple period in this particular synagogue could not deal with this poor guy. Whatever they had tried didn't work. So this man was left impure, sick, outcast. Uh, he had lost probably family, work, livelihood. Who really knows? He's still somewhere along attached to the synagogue, yet they know he is unclean. And he encounters the Holy One. He recognizes him. Interesting, isn't it? A room full of people who love God, studying the Bible, couldn't recognize the prophet in the room. But they knew he could teach. They knew there was something special. Something else. Now they need a little bit more. The unclean spirit knew who Jesus was. I know who you are. He says out loud. We do not get the message that Jesus taught, but we get the message that the demon taught. Isn't that an interesting one? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus beats him. Come out. And he does. And people are amazed. Not frightened. Amazed. What new doctrine is this? What has he got that our other team does not? They're Bible-believing Jews too. They probably say the Shmire every day. They've read Moses. They have just the same much hope and expectation as we all do, but they can't beat this guy. But our itinerant rabbi from Nazareth, he can. And he does it with power. And he does it in public. And he does it in the context of also teaching. And that's all linked together. Backed up by this expectation that there is someone very special who's going to come. This prophet, like Moses, who will defend Israel. Redeem Israel, feed Israel, teach Israel, guide Israel, do incredible miracles for Israel and for the world. So Jesus can teach, and he has authority over the demons. That is really good news, particularly in this day and age right now, when the world is a pretty dark place. And it doesn't seem like we have the ability to beat it. We're still waiting for that miracle cure. But the light of the world can. The king of the universe can. What is our response going to be? 
We should. He has the authority to teach. So what should be our response? Listen. If he's got the authority to teach, we should listen to what he teaches. We should absorb it. To put it into practice. To let that excitement fill us with hope and passion and enthusiasm. We can follow our Redeemer out from captivity into freedom. We can embrace the Torah that will be written on our hearts. A cloud that would guide us will actually dwell inside of us. And if he has the power to defeat demons, he might give that power to you too. And then we can challenge the evil one. We can defeat darkness. We can be full of hope. And that light that's within us will shine out and chase away everything that's black. And people will be drawn to it. Why? Who likes to live in darkness? Who wants to sit there in hopelessness? Who wants to dwell in our houses and get depressed? We don't want that. We want life. We want light. We want hope. We want freedom. We want to be able to get together in a community the right way that God wants us to be. And he delights to have a people. He called a people. And he said, you build me a tabernacle because I want to come down and live with you. I'm looking forward to that. I always love the tension that, that, that I find in, in the scriptures. In the beginning, there was nothing, and then God made heaven and earth. And it's like, I know that the, the scriptures also tell us that the earth is full of the glory of the Lord and is everywhere. Yet, the scriptures also at the same time say that God left heaven and came down so we could talk to Adam. Which means that God made somewhere where he was not, which is mind-boggling. But he is also everywhere, which is an amazing thought. Do I understand it? No. Do I believe it? Absolutely. Does it fill me with excitement and hope? Yep. Do I have a king sitting on the throne? Yes. And also here. And that is a delight. So what is our response? Listen to the teaching of Jesus. If he has authority to the defeat the demons, then that is the guy that we should follow. That is the guy that we should beseech when the world gets dark. And everything else that we do just does not work. That is the guy we appeal to for healing. And that is the guy we appeal to for help. And the guy that we long to see come back even though he's already here, which is an interesting thought. So brothers and sisters, respond to the message of Jesus. Respond to the teaching of the Messiah. Respond to the light of the world. Respond to the hope that has been revealed through the incarnation of Jesus. So that when we get to, uh, to Easter, we'll be ready to walk with the Messiah to the cross, and to the resurrection. And that is good news. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. 
You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.